Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift from the not-so-sunny New South Wales. I was down at the course in Wollongong this morning, actually, uh, for a brief meeting, and it was rainy. And the first thing I thought was, ooh, it's a bit fresher than I thought, and this is Pog <laughs> territory. And the same applied to the women's race, which was today. It was still normal summer jersey weather, but this is a technical city circuit, I think at least. Like some of the corners are quite in the rain, you know, it's not all straight lines. But there's the one lap of Mount Kira, 6K, 6%, but then it's all about Mount Pleasant, 1K at 9%. It's a very steep climb and it crests the last one, 9Ks from the finish, which is a little uphill drag, or up and down drag in the main part of Wollongong. And the big news before this race, which we didn't cover because we didn't do um, the mixed relay TT, apologies for that, was Van Vluten who crashed there because she dropped her chain. Uh, She broke her elbow or something. And so the question was whether she was going to ride in uh, the race. But there were some other issues with her, Benji, because with her clothing or something. Yeah, certainly. We started this race, first of all, with that elbow fracture. Von Vleuten ended up deciding yesterday to start this race. But she started in a time trial skin suit. And if you don't know, the time trial skin suit of the Netherlands is mostly orange, while the road race suit, like the jerseys that they normally wear on the road now since the European Championships, are more white and a tiny bit of like orange textures all around. And the UCI jury members in that race weren't really fond of that because... They're, she's basically wearing a different jersey than the other teammates of the Netherlands, which is kind of not okay, and I understand where they're coming from in that. So they were not happy with that. They summoned her, and she had to take on a different jersey. But she had a conversation at, at the team car. Say, uh, they were joking around that she, she couldn't end up riding naked and so forth, and she actually ends up taking a jersey and put it over her skin suit. Uh, So she basically wrote this race with a skin suit with a jersey on top of it, which is quite an anecdote. Next to that, another part that is bad for the Netherlands is that Demi Vollering was supposed to start this road race and she didn't because of COVID tests before the start. So that's a secondary co-leader out of the race. They still have Vos and so forth. So the team is still incredibly strong, Van Dijk and so forth. But losing Vollering is quite a... An important factor, perhaps it could have positive consequences if tactics-wise, you never know that. After the Olympics, I'm never doubting that anymore. But that's how the Netherlands started this road race, basically with Van Vleuten not ideal and with uh, Volring out of the race. But it really wasn't until Mount Kira until we started some action, seeing some action, but nothing too crazy. Some riders dropping already on Mount Kira, and that was mostly the likes of... um, Shirin van Androoy, which I was expecting to get further into the race for the Netherlands in general, perhaps for the U23 title that's available in this race as well, but that was not looking great on Mount Kira. So from that point on, was I was not expecting her to win that U23 title. But for the majority of this race, we just saw attacks left and right, people trying to get ahead in this race and try and make situations by smaller nations, trying to get riders up the road. Like, I think a Henderson tried to attack, a Sarah Roy tried to attack. We had a group of three up ahead for some moments. And it was really Italy that took control of this race and tried to make it a balanced co-leadership, it felt to me. As in, in the earlier Mount Pleasance, 
to me it felt like they were trying to get Balsamo over the clowns with Guazzini being the rider designated to Balsamo to keep Balsamo from dropping off the Peloton group and also keep Longoborghini and Persico at the front regardless of where Balsamo is and we saw that mainly on the third last Mount Pleasant. Do you think that was their plan? I think so. I think their biggest chance of winning was is yeah a sprint with Bolsonaro. I'd take her over anyone else in this field. Um, maybe her form is just tailing off a little bit at the end of the year. Maybe she didn't enjoy the rain. Maybe the course was too hard. You remember this climb? It's not steady either. The steep parts to it. Uh, but if you haven't got enough of uh, women's elite cycling. Uh, after the World Championships race. As a reminder, on the 27th of October, the Tour de France Femmevec Swift route reveal for 2023 will be released. Now, I don't know if there will be additional stages of another couple of stages out to 10. I don't know uh, which region they're going to. I'm sure there's some rumors, but just put that one in your diary. We will be reacting to that and as a reminder Zwift was one of the main reasons the Tour de France farm was able to get off the ground their support for a number of years led to the first great edition won by Annemiek van Flurten and I'm looking forward to seeing what the route reveal will have in store later at the end of October once the UCI calendar for this year is done but in this race yeah I thought Australia would be aggressive France as well they were a bit aggressive. Germany, the team isn't so strong, apart from Liana Lippert. And there's other riders, too, who can't go to a sprint, like Nevia Doma, like Mulman, like Nee Fischer-Black, like Switzerland, to be honest, with Shabby and uh, yeah. Marlon Reusser. But I was surprised. Well... Let's go to the third last Mount Pleasant, Benji, where the, the race was pretty sedentary up to that point, to be honest. Yeah. Balsamo gets dropped. She's then brought back, or she starts to drop, and Brown isn't looking too good too. At that point, I thought Italy should probably switch to uh, Persico and Elisa Longoborghini, and it looked like they did switch to that strategy pretty quickly. So they had a decent game plan. Um as well as, oh, were you surprised to see Brown dropping there or in trouble? I really was. I thought Brown wouldn't wouldn't have too much trouble getting around this circuit. I didn't think she'd like. I thought she'd be what sort of able to do what Royster did in this race. I was low-key surprised as well that she was dropping so early. I was expecting her maybe to drop on a second last climb if an attack comes from punches and so forth. And being caught in the second or third group on the road. That's the situation I see Brown live in. And the way that she can win this race is by anticipating those punches by attacking early or by being in a secondary group that comes back and then attacking away later on. But she never really got into that situation in this race, I felt like, because like you said, she started dropping on the third last one. So she couldn't anticipate the puncher attacks that would follow on the last two Mount Pleasants anymore. Although... The group that she dropped towards did come back after that third last Mount Pleasant. And we saw basically Italy being the role of that. Because I feel like you are right. They did switch towards Elisa Longoborghini and Persico between the third last and the second last Mount Pleasant. But they did try, in my opinion, to get Balsamo back to the peloton between those two climbs. Because Cicchini was kind of stopping the tempo at the front of the peloton. 
while in the Balsamo group, Guazzini was doing the work getting Balsamo back to that group. So they were still betting on both a tiny bit, but mainly when we start at second last Mount Pleasant, we see that we get an Italian lead out at the front of the peloton after all the attacks that came before were also caught. An Italian lead out that I think included the likes of Guazzini first, then Bertizzolo in second, if my mind serves me right. I saw Longoborghini and Persico. I don't know which order. There might have been the other way around in third and fourth field of that train, but it wasn't necessarily an attacking attack. It felt like they were just pacing at a higher pace. Guazzini was all done at that point, so Italy was doing something that was serious. Otherwise, Guazzini wouldn't just completely parkeggio on the climb there. But we didn't see an attack from their camp. We saw attacks from other camps on that Mount Pleasant, and it was a Polish rider, right? Kasia Nevyadoma with her attacking too early partner in crime, Liana Lippert. Lippert may be the strongest rider overall in the race today. Um, I said her only major win is Cadell's back in 2020 before the pandemic hit. One of the last races that was very similar course. It started raining there too. She was on again today. She just got no cooperation. So there's... There was a real like problem with this group of five that formed. It was Mulman, Ludwig, Nuviadoma, Longoborghini, and Lippert. Now, no Dutch rider, no Australian rider. Now, no Dutch rider is pretty surprising, but Voss just couldn't follow, and Van Vlerten either couldn't or was waiting for Voss. I think I think she struggled to like get out of the saddle on the steep yeah. pinch of Mount Pleasant, so she just couldn't follow. And that group was mainly being moved by Nuvidoma, Mulman, and Lippert. ELB had Persico behind, and Ludwig was just sitting in. And we've got a valley, then the last pleasant to come. And I sort of I sort of understand Ludwig sitting in at that point, not helping at all, because Van Dyke comes back to the group and starts motoring group two, that is, and takes the gap from 25 down to nothing. And in fact, if you're Ludwig, you're getting, you're resting whilst Lippert is just pulling, pulling, pulling in this valley before you know you have to go on Pleasant again. You know, like when you see the group form on the second last climb, the same one will form on the last one. Always. No one's just going to, like, no one in the second group that got dropped by 20 seconds is suddenly going to be dropping the group that got away. And yet Lippert's just pulling and Ludwig's sitting in. And so Lippert's just playing herself there. She always pulls for someone of her talent level to have not won a race yeah. outside of National Champs Germany. Just kind of surprising. So, yeah, I think at that point I thought the Netherlands were going for Voss, actually. And Van Vleuten was even pulling on the front before the last Mount Pleasant for Voss. Yeah, I think so as well. That situation seemed to be evolving in that second group. And that second group actually came back during those uh, that valley between the second last Mount Pleasant and the last Mount Pleasant. And that's when the situation, the thought process we had earlier with Grace Brown comes into my head because I looked besides me to the person I was looking at the race with and I said, this is a Grace Brown moment. But it wasn't Grace Brown. It was Chapman that made an attack at that point. But it wasn't effective. And then someone else did exactly the same thing, Marlon Royster from Switzerland. And when you know Marlon Royster is one of the best time trialists in the world, then you know that if Bertizzolo is the one controlling, who did a wonderful job, by the way, Bertizzolo in this race, it's not going to be enough to counter the attack that comes from Royster, who's flying through corners without breaking at this point. Bertizzolo taking those corners 
at a lower tempo and the gap goes out 5 seconds, 10 seconds, 15 seconds and it started somewhat staying around 15, 17 seconds once we were going towards the bottom of the uh, first Mount Owsley and then Mount Pleasant in that final loop. And I was thinking, this is on paper a manageable gap. We know that Royster is here trying to anticipate the punching attacks that will follow from the likes of the Lippert that we had on the second last climb and the Niviadoma that we had on the second last climb as well. And what happened basically in the second group, because I feel like you are right, the attacks once again happened in the peloton and it was on Mount Pleasant. And what was the group that formed behind Royster? That was the same group again. Mulman, Naviadoma, uh, Van Vleuten was dropped, Ludwig, Elisa Longoborghini, and Lippert. And we saw Van Vleuten pulling for Voss on the climb until eventually she just, Voss got dropped from the Kopecky group. So Kopecky actually went on to Van Vleuten, and then a second chase group formed, Neefish Black and Co. We'll get to them in a second. And so the same group of five goes ahead. But now we're going to the finish line. Now Van Dyke is spent behind. Now there's the real threat of Kopecky and Voss coming back. And again, Ludwig doesn't really cooperate with the group. And it goes from what she's doing is game theory optimal before the last climb because you are going to be caught anyway or you have another chance where the group will re-attack and get separation from the group behind. But when there's no climb left, when you're going to a flat sprint, you need to start pulling. Or like if you don't pull, you'll be caught and you'll be caught by Kopecky, maybe Voss, maybe Persico, Van Vleuten. If you pull even just a bit, and she did when it was too late, you have a chance to sprint against Nividoma Mulman. You'll dust them. You'll dust Longoborghini. So it's you against Lippert, who's doing too much anyway. So it just doesn't make sense from a selfish perspective what she did, sabotaging the group. And it was actually uh, a little bit disappointing, and I felt a bit sorry for Lippert, actually. Firmly agree in that situation. And just to be clear so everybody understands, Marlon Royster who was attacking on that last Mount Pleasant, she was caught at that point and dropped by that group that included the Troop Ludwig and so forth. So that group was the first one on the road. The second one included the Langs of Von Vleuten, Kopecky, and also Arleni Sierra, fast rider in there as well. Bit of a factor in that group as well. And Nee Fisher Black, who was then the bigger candidate for the U23 title in this race in that group as well. And then the next group was Voss, who had Von Dijk coming back to her and actually started pacing Voss as well, but that was too far to actually still matter in the race, although I was low-key hoping that we'd have like everything come back in the final kilometer. And it somewhat happened, didn't it? Because that first group started collaborating so limitedly that we saw that second group of Kopecky and so forth, most of which seemed to be the work of Kopecky, Sierra, and I also feel like Royzer did quite a bit going into the final last kilometer to get that group back. Shabby was also in that second group, Persico was in that second group, so Longoborghini in this first group, Persico in the second group. That's why Longoborghini isn't pacing as much in the front group, although I feel like she paced quite a bit still. How did it come together and what happened afterwards? Well, yeah, I was waiting for... Well, first of all, at least Longoborghini, I was waiting for the counterattack with Persico behind. Now, remember, they don't have radios, so this is like everyone reacting to what's happening in the road. She doesn't know Persico's necessarily in that group behind her. Yeah. Um, I was waiting for the Elise Longoborghini attack, and then the group comes back together, and ELB doesn't get on the front. 
Norman's just been pulling. She's like, well, my medal's gone. Um, and just sort of, it's really just basically at the front soft pulling, doing nothing. Maybe I, I thought, is she doing a, is she leading out for a trade teammate, Kapeki, um, on SD Works? Probably not because she's off to, um, that Lefebvre team next year. Um, and so Italy, first of all, Italy stuff it. Now this is the end of a multi-hour race and world champs and this is the last 800 meters, but. ELB should have got on the front and started pulling or giving a lead out to Persico. Second, Kopecky is a little bit unaware because from behind, Undertaker meme with the um, supposedly broken elbow that she was able to celebrate with afterwards, flexing. Uh, Van Vluten goes from the back in the big ring and just Cancellara destroys everybody. Um, and the minute you saw the, the overhead shot had it and... You saw the separation. You saw Kopecky looked around, didn't react, done. This is in the last 750 metres. So out of nowhere, having been working for Voss, having been dropped on every Mount Pleasant, she wins the World Champs in a completely different way. Harrogate was 100k solo. Liège or races like that, she just overpowers riders on the final or hardest hill. Today, she was not necessarily the strongest, but had the best timing. And Kapeki, I think, was very, very frustrated with herself because if Kapeki, <laughs> if Kapeki jumps on that move, it's it's different. If she's got Bolsonaro or Voss in the wheel, you can't. But she knows she's superior to everyone in the group, apart from maybe Persico, Little Edge, Little Chance. Um, but she has to jump on Van Vleuten there, and she doesn't. And Van Vleuten wins a very unlikely World Championships after crashing very hard in the mixed relay TT. Kopecky second, just behind her. Persco takes third. Lippert unlucky not to get a medal. She was fourth. Ludwig fifth, so she cost herself uh, at least silver. Sierra sixth. Labou seventh. Nuvidoma eighth. Xavi ninth. And Longaborghini tenth. Neil Fisher Black wins the under-23 world champs ahead of Pfeiffer Georgie. So big win for AVV, Benji. And um, yeah, like... It, when the Netherlands actually didn't have anything going their way really before the race, unlike the Olympics last year. Yeah, definitely. And we also need to keep in mind every attack that happened be because of the punctures on the second last and last Mount Pleasant. Not a single Dutch rider made that split. Not a single Dutch rider was good enough when it comes to their punching on today's stage. Obviously, Van Vleuten had her energy injury and so forth, so that's a big factor here. But not a single rider made that split. And they really made the best of trying to come back every single time after each Mount Pleasant using the Valley to their advantage. And when Van Vleuten was in the second group, after the last Mount Pleasant, there was another option they could have gone for. Let's say they say, I'm going to pull Van Vleuten back to the group of Vos and Van Dijk, who's also like 5 to 10 seconds behind that group. And we have a three-moment train, then perhaps that group also comes back. So... They had two options to go for. They had Van Vleuten sit up in that second group. In hindsight, a very good option to do so. And that group was brought back by the work of others. And Van Vleuten benefited from that with a perfect timing attack. As simple as that. And I'd also want to say that I agree with your statement on Lippert. I believe that she was the strongest rider in the race. But the issue is that, one, she doesn't have very strong teammates in this race. He has a, a barn find wrote a crazy race for the age she has, but it's not enough to be supportive next to Lippert and be in that final to make sure that she can get the best out of that. Because 
Lippert is being put in, in positions in groups where not everybody will work with her. And as a consequence, other groups that have faster riders come back and beat her in the end. And the same goes for riders like Mormon and so forth. That's the factor of being isolated at the end of a race as a puncher and not necessarily having the sprint to beat a larger group as a consequence. And when it comes to Kopecky, you're right. I think that when a von Vleuten goes on the right side of the road with 700 meters to go, I think a lot of riders are going to be like, oh, I don't want to close that. I don't want to be the person that closes that because if I do it now, then I'm spending my bickies early in this last kilometer. But the issue as well is if von Vleuten goes with 700 meters to go, she's likely going to keep that up is how I see that. So I think it would have been a viable option to get onto von Vleuten's wheel and respond like that. Yes, there is the chance that a Sierra or Persico gets on your wheel and beats you on the line. That is certainly the case. It's easy to say, of course, in hindsight, what a reaction they should have had in that final kilometer. I think um, I think she agrees. I think maybe... Do you think they should have been more aware that a potential counterattack from behind them could happen in that situation? But if you're Kopecky, definitely, because it's already a large group. So it's not necessarily Van Vleuten. There's Roysel, who's been lingering around. There's... Um, there's loads of riders, like the majority of that group can't sprint, like Laboud, like Nuvia Doma, um, and also Xavi uh, as well for Switzerland. So, yeah, like I would have been, if I was Kopecky, had my head on a swivel. The problem was Van Vluten hit it with such a difference of speed because she was actually laying off. The, the group that, att- that went back to the group one uh, she just waited with Neve Fisher Black a little bit behind and came back almost in a third group a bit afterwards and then just, yeah, hit them, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, Lippa just don't have that dog in her uh, right now. She's just, she's too nice. She's she's just too nice. I think, like, uh, Fossil Loop on the Tour de France last year, I think she'll break through. She's just got to be a bit meaner. Um, yeah. And if she rode a lot more like Ludwig, she probably would win more races uh, some of the time. For Van Flurten, Niels Erkhoff died for all her sins. Niels Erkhoff obviously disqualified in the um, World Champs Road Race Under 23 in whenever 2019, 2020 for drafting a car, and then he won on the road, and then he was disqualified after. Um, Van Vleuten, she her socks are a complete joke. Like, just scrap the rule, scrap it, because... World Champs Elite Race, she had triathlete socks, compression socks to her knees. And I know everyone's like, oh, it's a joke rule, but like it makes a difference. Otherwise, Remco wouldn't pull them up. Like it makes a difference. And if you're going to have the rule and not enforce it, I'd rather you just didn't have it because some poor rider is going to get stuffed on it at some point and it's just going to be unfair. So just get rid of that one if you're not going to enforce it. But her socks (laughs) were laughable, actually. Yeah, it's a, it was a bit of a joke, but stitches get stitches. But I agree that you should bring it up because it is a, a joke and the fact that that rule is a factor, then it should probably be applied. Although I wouldn't want the sock rule to prevent what happened today, for example, in that sense. You know, like I'm on, it's a mixed situation, but on paper, the rule should be applied if there are rules. Now, I want to ask you a question. We know that Lippard in this race is... Arguably the best puncher on the road. Strongest rider in the race, in my personal opinion. We know Von Vleuten is a rider that is the strongest climber in the world. 
They're going to be both at Movistar next year. I think Van Vleuten is retiring at the end of next year, if my memory serves me right. Although I hope in the same way that I hope that for Valverde every year or Nibali as well, that she extends that and actually continues riding afterwards because she's clearly good enough to keep on riding quite a few years still. How do you see that combination work? Do you believe that that's a good combination? Do you believe that that will benefit each other in the same races or do you believe that they should ride separate calendars? They don't really fit that well together because Lippert's not an all-out great flat sprinter. She's decent in a flat sprint, but not like a Kopecky, whereas Kopecky and Van Vleuten's are actually a better pairing, that sort of rider. Um, I don't know. Uh, they got Sarah Gigante. They got Lippert. Lippert's only 24. So I guess she she's available. She maybe hasn't maxed out her potential. And Movistar, no Van Vleuten's at the tail end of her career. As, although, as you said, of course, she could continue for many years. But they're like, let's just get Lippert in now and maybe she'll have something from Van Vleuten. And then there's plenty. There's so many races on the women's calendar now that there is enough racing to go around in Van Vleuten. She has done now, with all that racing, she has won she, Omelope, second Flanders, second Flesh, first Liège, first Giro Donna with a couple of stages, first Tour de France with a couple of stages, first of Vuelta with a stage, and now wins the World Championships. And I... I haven't gone through her many seasons, but I can't imagine her having. I don't think it's possible to have had a better season. So just crazy. Completely washed. <laughs> yeah. How old is she? She's 39. She's turning 40 in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Like she can clearly keep riding for a long time. She does crash a lot. I'd say her biggest weakness is um, she crashes a lot. Uh, I'd say slightly above average, so the toll that would take on her body, I don't know, but like it's not good crashing. But at the moment, she looks fine, and she just won world champs with after a very, very heavy crash. So, yeah, she'll continue. Who will pop up? Vollering this year didn't quite step up to that Vanderbreken level. Um, Blanca Vash, those sort of talents. We are waiting we for someone to really step up and challenge her. And maybe Cavalli would have been her, but she had that unfortunate crash in the Tour de France fam. How do you think, that's a good hypothetical, how do you think she changes Italy's team today? And and whether, how do you think she would have gone on this course? I think it would add an extra rider that would be in the group with Elisa Longo-Rogini at the front. And I'm not sure how that would influence their tactics necessarily because I don't know if adding Cavalli in that group makes them have the fastest rider in the group still. But they might have had that group survive, for example. I don't know if that would have been in their benefit. Perhaps it would have been in their benefit where they could do one-two attacks in the last stretch towards the line, for example, if they have multiple riders in that group. But they would first have to pace to make sure that group actually survives, you know? So... I don't know if that hardcore influences too much, actually. Because on one end, you'd say, okay, that would affect them being able to go all out for Cavalli here. But would you do that knowing you've got Balsamo, Persico, and Longoborghini also in the team? It's really difficult to balance the, the strengths of these riders on a parkour that is was on paper half Balsamo and half Longoborghini Persico. Yeah, I think... 
in the end, it would have been Cavalli and Elise Longo-Borghini in that group of five. And then does ELB just pull for a sprint? Does she just pull for a sprint with Cavalli? Will Cavalli beat Lippert and Ludwig in a sprint? Maybe. Maybe. Um, she'd have a decent chance. I'm trying to think where she came. Amstel wasn't really a sprint. She didn't win any sprints actually this year um, i think didn't she get relatively close in him last year or something i vaguely remember something like that but i could be wrong in that sense i uh don't remember yeah, any fifth. other sprints okay that's an example perhaps that was in a reduced group and she she got dusted by kapeki brenau roy and co and she was only in front of stevens and volering so I don't know. It would have been tricky. Yeah, it's tricky to balance. Italy, have, I think they work pretty well together. Um, are there any teams you think will be ruined today? I think there's one. Uh, I think Australia, when you look at Manly coming second behind Voss in that sprint, only 12 seconds behind, you think, wow, could, could Manly have got them a medal today when Brown... Yep. When Brown dropped and then they attacked, they were attacking with Roy and Chapman. Was Manly the best option if they tried to keep it together and really kept it together? Maybe that would never have happened. Um, I don't know. But Manly's a great rider. She'll keep improving. And just one to note down that she was only 12 seconds back and second in the, in the bunch sprint. But I don't know. There's no. I think Ludwig's the one who'll lose sleep tonight. I think she threw a, a medal in the bin. One of the riders that I do want to mention is a 22-year-old, Simone Boilard. We mentioned her a few times this year already. I think she got relatively close in a Tour de France thumb sprint. Eh, I'm not actually so sure about it. I remember her doing a good result somewhere. Yeah, a on the fast sprint in the Tour de France thumb. She actually got a good result today as well, 22nd at the age of 22. I uh, see her doing pretty well in the future, but she's staying at Saint-Michel Aubert for another year. So I was surprised to see that extension a bit ago. And I was low-key expecting her to go World Tour next year, but that doesn't seem to be the case. I'm expecting her to do that in 2024 for certain. But, hey, we haven't spoken much about Fisher Black. Do you think that... What does this U23 title mean in your eyes for Fisher Black? Not much, um, to be yeah. honest, because, like, a race within a race is kind of weird. And also she won't ride any U23 races next year and she's already coming fifth at the fifth at the Girodonna and like she's yeah. already she's already a pretty serious world tour rider and next year SD Works probably be hoping she kicks on again and turns sort of the 12th at Flesh into 7th and 5th at Girodonna into 3rd um so like it's nice of course for her I'm sure but Oh, I already have her. She's already a better rider than that. Um, and it's just odd like, that there was that race within a race. What about yeah. the circuit, though, just ahead of tomorrow? I think there's just two names that pop out, and it's MVDP and Pagacha. MVDP with these corners, these fast 90-degree corners, um, the punchy climbs has to be put down and then you see this weather you see a circuit like this it just it's castel fidardo to me i don't know if it's <laughs> identical but it seems very similar to me um and pagacha like looking it looks so good for him but flat finish i think mvdp as well i'm not sure the weather i think it might not be raining it's not cool, cold but it is cool conditions so 
Yeah. Does anything now that you've seen the women's elite go around? Does it change what you think about the circuit? Um, I think it makes me like, can Matthews really follow the punches on that Mount Pleasant? It's steep in parts. I don't think so. I don't think so. It depends. It depends on what race situation we have, because we've seen a few of the junior races and the U23 races, some of which were very selective. Like, for example, Herzog versus Morgado in the men's juniors, Buckstedt at the women's juniors. Those were, like, selective races, but that's junior race. They attack from, like, the start of the race, basically, sometimes. I think Buckstedt literally did, like, a 57-kilometer solo. So that's pretty significant, I'd argue, but she was also already very dominant last year, for example. and. I was a bit fearful going into this women's race about maybe it not being selective enough for some races that we saw, but I think this women's race in this weather was really selective. I think there's a good dynamic between groups potentially coming back and the group staying ahead. I like that factor. It means that groups need to be tactical to stay ahead and so forth. That gives us great discussions on the podcast, so we can't complain about that. But also Vanderpool and Pogacar are the names that also shout out to me. Bernard is also a name that is obviously one of the favorites on this parkour. I want to see Vanderpool go early, but I feel like there's a disadvantage to riders going solo on this parkour. But Vanderpool is kind of special, you know? And I don't know. It's going to be intriguing. I, I like the parkour. That's as much as I'll say. Australia has been doing pretty fine so far. I'm, I'm appreciating your country, my friend. I mean, it's a bit. It is a bit odd to me, as an Australian, to basically have the world champs contested. All everyone flies all the way out here on like a miscellaneous suburban circuit that <laughs> could literally be anywhere in Australia. When we have a lot of, I know they start on the coast, but yeah, to have the actual Willing definitive moment of the race, that would have been uh, goated. Uh, well, that's in TDU. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of places in Australia. It's a big country with a lot of beautiful things. Like, uh, I wonder if we could have found a hill with a view, but, um, it's in Wollongong. So no, it's, it's, I saw this morning, loads of cyclists out. There's a big cycling community there. I'm not denying that. I'm just saying on TV, um, yeah, Mount Pleasant. <laughs> I guess Imola was a bit weird too. Um, during it's the like pandemic. No. Yeah, yeah, that random, like, that's just a random street that Al Philippe attacked on, right? It's not a special <laughs> climb. It's not used in any other race. Exactly. I'm pretty sure it's probably in some other race in Belgium because we've got races in every street in Belgium at this point because you have copies of every single race 17 times. But I agree, it looked like a random street. And Leuven is not, Leuven is a pretty important place for cycling in Belgium. But I'd argue that an Audenarde is more legendary there. And the Cobble, um, climbs near that region is more legendary than the ones in near Leuven, for example. But hey, that was last year. Wollongo is this year. And so far, I can't really complain with the park where I'm enjoying it. And uh, we should do a reaction to the Glasgow World Championships parkour that came out relatively soon. What do you think? Yeah, another just misc punchy course. Love it. Like, can we just have something different, <laughs> please? <laughs> Maybe that's more of a sprinter's one, I think. But yeah, that's not a bad idea when the World Champs is wrapped up. We'll, ha- we'll take a look at that. There's obviously the Grand Tour reveals later in October. But that's all from us. We'll be back with the men's road race recap tomorrow. Who will wear the rainbow bands for the year afterwards? Until then, ciao.